This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Axiom Medical. Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast, our conversations with safety experts aim to share ideas and insights you can use to help your organization benefit from efforts to improve worker safety and health. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Addressing mental and behavioral health challenges among your workforce is critical to building safer and healthier workplaces. Joining me today to talk about some of those challenges and how you can support your team, I'm happy to welcome Dr. Les Curte. Dr. Curte has more than 40 years of experience in mental and behavioral health management, including 15 years in executive leadership positions in the group insurance industry. He is a licensed and board-certified psychologist with expertise in mind-body health, including disability medicine, chronic pain, and health behaviors. Dr. Curte holds a PhD in clinical psychology from Georgia State University, and he is currently the Senior Vice President of Behavioral Health with Axiom Medical. Dr. Curte, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Scott. Glad to have you. Let's uh, let's get started. So we're we're talking about mental and behavioral health challenges in the workplace. So I thought a good place to start would kind of lay the groundwork of what some common mental health and behavioral challenges are. So when we say that phrase, mental and behavioral health challenges, what are some of the things we're talking about? So I, I tend to I tend to use the term behavioral health when we're talking about the workplace. And you can think of it this way, that behavioral health is really the, it's the whole pie that includes stress, substance use, chronic pain can can be considered a part of that. And mental health, what I mean by that are mental, are psychological or psychiatric symptoms and psychiatric diagnoses or psychological diagnostic conditions like major depressive disorder, right? So, um, so think of mental health as being inside of behavioral health inside of this bigger pie. Okay. Now looking at those, those kind of issues on, on a larger scale, how many people on average are experiencing a mental health challenge at work on any given day? Well, again, so, so if you go back to my big pie, right? If you include stress, it's virtually universal. And we have seen, um, you know, particularly in the last couple of years, we have seen an increase in people reporting extreme levels of stress, um, you know, significant enough that people are, uh, feel like it, it impacts their productivity, that, you know, it's getting, it's getting in the way. So that's a, that's a really significant portion of the, of the working population you know, a mental health challenge in the sense of having a diagnosable condition, it's about one in five, you know, about one in five people at any given time in the general population. And there's no reason to believe that the working population is any different. About one in five people has uh, meets criteria for a diagnosable psychiatric condition in any given one year period. You know, if we, I can't really answer the question accurately if we include symptoms of anxiety and depression. You know, lots of us wake up in the morning anxious about something or other. That's a symptom, but it's not really a diagnosable condition. 
But you know, I can't really give you an accurate number for that. But it's it's not an insignificant number. You know, if if you go over lifetime, the lifetime incidence of a diagnosable mental health condition is about half. You know, it's it's really a significant number. Um, so so the answer to your question depends on what which part of this pie we're talking about. By the way, I am including in that those percentages of mental health diagnoses, I am including substance use disorders in that number as well. I'm sure a big part of this, be it for, for safety professionals or colleagues in the workplace, is knowing the kind of things to look for in somebody who might be struggling with a mental or behavioral health issue. So how can someone tell if a colleague is going through a mental or behavioral health challenge? Well, I, the thing to look for is change in behavior. So, you know, I, I tend to be a pretty cheerful, reasonably positive person. If, if I show up at work five days in a row and I'm really, really grumpy, you can bet that there's something going on. Um, on the other hand, there are people who are kind of grumpy most of the time. Yeah, you know, that's not much of an indicator. But, you know, um, you're looking for changes in, you know, someone who's typically on time starts coming in late on a, on a regular basis. People who are seem to be losing concentration. Um, it, you know, psychological symptoms, certainly mental health challenges and diagnoses, they're, they're distracting, right? So if you start to see someone who's sort of losing focus when they're normally focused, those are the kinds of things that we're looking for. You know, behavioral changes that suggest maybe there's something going on and we don't know what it is. And, you know, then the next question, of course, is how are you doing, right? Um, I think we worry about that a lot in the work in a work contest. You know, we're not supposed to ask people about their health conditions. Well, you don't have to ask about the details of a health condition to say, how you doing? Right? And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind. Um, and most of the time, people will talk about what's going on for them. I, I was just going to follow up with that. Have you found, you know, it can be, you know, just that simple, like a, how are you doing? And that can really help people open up and begin to start the conversation and talk about those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think you have to mean it. You know, I mean, it's, it's a, a perfunctory, how you doing, usually gets met with fine, you know, but a conversation that starts with, hey, it looks like something's on your mind. You know, you do, how are you doing today? And you're really interested in the answer. That gives people room to talk. And they may or may not, you know, they may or may not open up. But most of us will talk about what's going on if we're asked in that way that really invites a response, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. When it's, as you said, kind of the perfunctory in a more, you know, relaxed, casual way that put, puts people at ease. It's not like they're, you know, being grilled with a, a question or felt like pressure to answer it. It's, you know, that'll make them a much more likely to open up. Right. And, and certainly, you know, if you if 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 a, pro, a set of behaviors or behavior changes are, is really becoming a performance issue, then you have that conversation you know, I'm noticing that you're late a lot and that's creating some pressure around work, you know, you're doing okay, right? So 
you address the behavior that you observed, and then you and then you ask the question and you open it up for conversation. So that I, it's a pretty straightforward process that I think we overcomplicate a lot. Going back to uh, the the impact this has on workplace safety, I mean, you've talked about you know losing focus, uh, loss of productivity, things like that. What what are some other ways that you know these mental and behavioral health challenges can impact safety in the workplace? Well, I think you know I think distraction is the is the big safety concern, and that's been demonstrated in you know, all kinds of different contexts. I I do think it's really important. To, to point something out here. And I just, just because I like to keep current, I went and looked again this morning at you know, what, what's in the literature, what are people, what are people saying? Um, because this is a big topic of conversation right now. So the thing, that, the thing that's out there is that there's a negative impact on people's ability to, to attend, and that's a safety risk when people have untreated symptoms, right? It's not the diagnosis that causes the problem. It's, it's the symptoms that create kind of a, a state of distraction. You know, stress by itself, it, we, we, you can't make stress go away, right? If it's managed, you're probably not at, at any increased risk. If it's unmanaged and people are really feeling burnt out, they're having a hard time, you know, with just managing day-to-day life, that's a safety risk, potential, potentially. People who are having symptoms of a depressive disorder or an anxiety disorder, it's, it's being tied up in those symptoms that creates distractibility, which then poses a safety risk. You know, on the other hand, there are plenty of us who have at one time or another were diagnosed with a major depressive disorder. We've gone to treatment. We get up in the morning, we take our antidepressant, we go to work. That, there's no evidence that that person is any greater safety risk than anybody else. And, and you know, that's a, you know, that's a really... I think it's really important because we tend to think, and people will not report that they have a problem because they don't want to be flagged as a safety risk. Well, you got to ask yourself as an employer or as a safety manager or you know, whoever, you got to ask yourself, would you rather have that person be at work and be treated and doing well, or would you rather have them keep it to themselves and maybe be a safety risk because they're not willing to talk about it, right? So I, I think that's a really important distinction to make. Working from that and how you know, safety managers can take that next step, you know, they, they, they see these symptoms, you know, they, they want to help people get the support they need. So what can safety managers in these situations do to support their team? Well, I think the first thing is you, you have to create a uh, an environment in which it's okay to have those conversations. You know, I, I as a manager have to create an environment in which I would rather you told me that you're really having a hard time and you're not ready to be at work today than to run the risk that 
something bad's going to happen. And that's about creating a culture in which it's more important to me that you're safe and doing well than, than to pretend that everything's fine. Right. So that's something I think that, you know, there's training that's out there. Um, there's a national training called mental health first aid that, you know, we use in our workplace to, to get people trained that really helps people. It's not specifically designed for the workplace, but it can be used there. It's really designed to help people get comfortable having those conversations. Again, we're all used to asking how you doing and get the answer fine. And when we get a different answer than that, you know, well, the truth is I'm really not doing that well right now. A lot of us just get nervous. So getting comfortable with that and getting some training is important, but it's really about creating that culture. And I, I frankly, I think safety managers as, on the whole actually do a really pretty good job of this because safety is, is their focus. Right. So uh, I think that that a lot of what safety managers already do is totally appropriate in this regard that we're really. But uh, again, the, the most important thing is to have that conversation in such a way that it's not punishing. It, it's really about, you know, we want to keep everybody safe. And it, uh, again, it's, you, you know, I wish I had something like really fancy to give you that that's important. You know, we at Axiom are, are focused on developing some ways that people can kind of keep tabs on their on their workforce and sort of help managers get that kind of information. And there are other things that are out there that help help with that to kind of get a baseline feel for your organization. But on, I still say that the most important thing is creating that environment in which it's okay to have the conversation. Absolutely. Now, uh, you, something you touched on earlier was untreated symptoms. Now, kind of looking at from a different angle, you know, what what could be the costs for a, an organization of inaction, of not, you know, starting those conversations and making sure these challenges are addressed? You know, how does receiving the right mental and behavioral health care at the right time affect both the bottom line and your workforce? Boy, there's lots of different ways that we can we can talk about it. You know, there is a significant loss of productivity, not only in lost work time, you know, if someone is out of work because of a psychiatric condition, you know, the average short-term disability duration, for example, for a mental health condition is about 45 days. That's a long time to lose somebody. But also those unmanaged symptoms reduce our ability to be present at work and be fully functional. You know, people estimate that employers lose about 25%, 25 to 28% of total productivity to people who are what we call the, we call it presenteeism. You know, it's people who are at work, but not, but not all there, right? <laughs> and we've all had those days. I mean, we've all gone to work on days when you know, we're not 100%, right? If it becomes habitual, then, then you're losing it. So you're losing money in terms of productivity. You're also losing money. Um, people with mental health diagnoses, particularly those that are untreated, have more expensive total health cost, right? So 
so that's another th and looked at the other way when adequate mental health care is available it drives down total health care cost right so we know that that's another way that that it that it costs employers so you know there's productivity loss there's work time loss there's replacement costs and the average replacement cost for a worker is about four thousand dollars now that's that's a huge range it's anywhere from a thousand dollars you know or a, a few hundred dollars in some settings to much more than that if you have a high level employee but it averages out to four thousand dollars if you look at the numbers of people who are turning over jobs that are being reported, you know, we all talk about the great resignation. You know, it's about 50% of people are have considered or have actually left a job because of stress and mental health concerns. Well, if you do $4,000, I've done the math. If you did if you do $4,000 per person there's a, about 155 million workers in the workforce. Half of those people leave. You're talking total replacement costs of about $4 trillion. I mean, you know, we're not talking small amounts of money. You, you know, people are, are, employers are literally hemorrhaging money by not paying attention and providing what's needed to really take care of people. And that's the good news, right? You take care of your people, you provide resources and create that culture. There's absolute, I, I was, I've been totally unable to find any evidence that people with a diagnosable condition that's treated are at any re greater risk of productivity loss or of safety risk. You know, and we didn't even go, I didn't even go to safety risks and accidents and how much that costs, you know, most of the people who are, you know, most of the people who are in safety will have those numbers in their head, right? And they're also not small. So it's, it, it's, it, it's a huge problem and it's only gotten worse. Um, I, I think I should add for what it's worth that we're having these conversations a lot more because COVID shined a light on the problem. And it definitely increased our stress levels. You know, um, I mean, we have job insecurity. Our jobs may have changed because of people being at home instead of being at work. I mean, there's lots of ways in which it's changed, plus the uncertainty created stress. But if you look at the numbers, this has been a crisis for years you know if long before covid you know and, and the good news is we're we're having the conversation finally you know we needed to have this conversation something you you mentioned earlier are some, some of the tools out there available to employers you know to kind of help employees and help the organization kind of get a handle on you know the different mental and health challenges works might be dealing with so i wonder if we could talk about you know some of the those tools and apps and things that are available and what those can offer boy you know there there's so much going on in the industry right now there are the traditional services that a lot of employers offer so most employers have access to an employee assistance program and an EAP. Utilization of those programs is awful. You know, the average utilization rate for EAPs is about three to 5%. 
well, you can, it's pretty easy to do the math. You know, I gave you the numbers for kind of incidents in the workplace, but only three, three to 5% of people are actually taking advantage just of that traditional resource. You know, so one thing is that we know is available is just if you make those resources available, put them in front of people and promote them, particularly from the executive level on down, you know, if everybody is talking about it, that makes a difference. Increased utilization of mental health services tends to improve all of the things that we've been talking about. So that's a simple thing. There are trainings available. Mental health first aid is a training that's available. Um, The Red Cross does a psychological first aid training. And those things are really designed. I think they're particularly helpful for um, managers to get comfortable having those conversations, but they can be really helpful just for employees, you know, to be able to, to, to have conversations with their teammates. There are, um, there are peer programs that people have set up where you have some people in the company that are trained in these, you know, mental health first aid techniques of various kinds. Telehealth services, uh, a lot of employers now have telehealth and telemental health services available. You know, one thing that I've seen employers do is typically in an insurance plan, mental health providers are specialists. So your copay is higher, right? Well, employers have the ability through their brokers and through their, their, their relationship with the insurance company, they have the ability to change that. So here's a really simple thing an employer can do, right? Just lower the copay so that it's easier for people to access it. Um, so I, I'm sorry, I'm a, I know I'm a little disorganized in all of this, but there are so many things that can be done that don't take a huge investment, you know, and small things we expect will make a really big difference. You mentioned EAPs, and this is something I've talked about, and and this could go for kind of really any of these resources. Something I've uh, talked about with a lot of folks with EAPs is just, and as you touched on, employees not being aware that that's available to them or what those resources are. So it seems like a big part of that is just raising awareness, doing that promotion of, of these resources. So, you know, your, your employees know, Hey, if you're going through a tough time, you're having some challenges that we have resources in place to help you. Yes. It, I think, I, I absolutely think it does. And, and we have seen, and, and, you know, EAPs have done studies of utilization rates in companies where the executive teams have been part of promoting access makes a big difference. So, you know, leadership involvement, I think, is, is really a, a, a key thing in this. On that note, a good good segue here. Um, so, lo- looking at it from from that level, you know, what what actions can organizations take to minimize the stigma around mental and behavioral health in the workplace? I think that that's you know a common thread through all of this. The reluctance to for employees to talk about these kind of things is because there is still that stigma there. What what can organizations do to kind of help break through that? Well, I think a lot of the things that I've been talking about are really designed specifically to address 
that issue. I mean, there's a certain amount of that that's cultural that, you know, employers are going to have a hard time overcoming, you know, we as a, as a culture in the U.S., in the Western world, frankly, have a lot of stigma around mental health. You know, one way that I think about this a lot is that we have created a monster in that we think of mind and body as two different things. And what goes with that is this unspoken belief that if you have a physical illness or physical signs and symptoms, that's real. And, but if you have mental health challenges, that's somehow less real. You, you know, you don't, you can't put a thermometer in somebody's mouth and, and, and measure depression. And, and that's, a, that's a very large cultural issue. And we tend to think of, you know, mental health challenges as being somehow, you know, emotional weakness or, you know, there's something wrong with the person. Well, the only thing an employer can do, an employer can't take on that whole cultural piece. But what an employer can do is create a culture inside the workplace that says, hey, here, we'd rather that you talked about it and got help because we know it's gonna help you do your job better. We know you're gonna be a safer employee. You know, that's what employers can do is create those messages. And I can't emphasize enough how important it is for that to come from the highest levels of the organization on down. And by the way, it's also not enough for the executive team to be doing that and not have that trickle through to the to the frontline managers you know we've seen those environments in which the executives really buy in to what i'm talking about and promote that but they don't really get around to helping the managers really understand how important it is you know all the things that i'm saying about it's what i'm saying is just true you know you get those people the help that they need and they are going to be better employees they're going to be more satisfied with their job and they're going to be safer. What's not to like? You, you touched on it there, but, uh, but I wonder if we could uh, spend a little more time talking about the, the role of, of leadership in, in this whole process and making sure, as you know, you know, it filters down through every level of the organization so that you know, organizations are, are ready to tackle these kind of issues. Well, I can give examples. Uh, so a presentation at a conference some, some years ago. And what had happened was that a, a mid-level manager in the company had committed suicide. And it really struck home for the, for the executive leadership. You know, the CEO in particular was really, really impacted by this. And so created a series of videos to play for the for the company that they put on the website you know and he started talking about it and he started talking to you know the people who reported to him and said go talk to your people and it just went down through the organization they created those messages and it was personal and 
part of what happened, I think, in that setting was that that CEO admitted to their own vulnerability about how this had impacted them. And that sort of helped make it okay for people to have the conversation. The interesting thing was that every metric that they had around productivity, job satisfaction, safety, everything that they had went up in response to those appeals. Interestingly enough, their EAP utilization went up by quite a lot. It was almost 15%, which is huge in this business, but it ended up saving them money. So that one particularly struck home because it was so personal. But I think that that's really what leadership needs to do is find a way to make this personal and to really understand how much of a difference that it's going to make to your company. And by the way, happier employees make happier customers. You know, they make more loyal customers. There's another way, you know, there's another plus to this. So I, again, I, I, and I think that that, I think that's important to have the conversation at that level. You know, this isn't just a nice to have thing. This is something that really makes a difference. And it has to be at, you know, it has to run through the whole organization. Something you said that really struck me with that example is the the CEO showing their vulnerability. Do you feel like that's part of the the stigma as well that people people are afraid to be vulnerable in you know in in a in a workplace setting in front of their their coworkers their supervisors? I absolutely. Uh, here's an interesting study that I came across, and I I'm sorry I can't. I can't pull up where it came from exactly, but something like in this particular study, which is a fairly sizable uh, sampling of employees, something like 70% of people had reported that they had a conversation in the context of work about stress or, or mental health symptoms. Okay, that's huge. Of that 70%, however, less than half, reported that it had been satisfying or helpful. So, you know, well, what happens, you know, in that circumstance? I mean, those people who didn't find it very helpful, you can bet that they're not going to have that conversation again. So again, creating that culture and doing the things that it takes to, to have that and making it okay. And it's not, it's probably not, you know, we've all had probably in our in our careers, we've all had managers who are just, you know, tone deaf and, you know, don't know what to do with any of that, right? But it doesn't have to be even that. It just has to be discomfort in, you know, you know, I go to someone that I report to and say, you know what, I'm really having a hard time. I mean, I've got my kids at home, I'm working from home. You know, I have all of this going on. I'm anxious about COVID. I'm really struggling. I, you know, I need to, I need some help here. Well, if that, if I see that that makes my manager nervous, I'm much more likely to keep that to myself. So it's just being willing to have the conversation and I don't need my manager to fix it. I need my manager to hear me, (laughs) you know, (laughs) right? Um, 
And I, I think that, that that that's another piece of the vulnerability. I don't have to necessarily, it, it's not just me sharing my vulnerability, but it's allowing people to be vulnerable in my presence, which takes a certain amount of, you know, I, I'm somebody who likes to fix things. Um, and, but, you know, what I've trained myself to do I suppose I would since I'm a psychologist, but you know what I've trained myself to do is to understand when it's when it's appropriate to try to help somebody fix something, and when somebody just needs to be heard. And I would say the majority of time, most of us just want to be heard, and and it makes us feel better. Is there uh, is there anything else uh, you'd like to add about uh, addressing mental and uh, behavioral health in the workplace? I think. If I were going to add anything, it would be, you know, the place to start is to ask your employees how they're doing and what they need. And collectively, you know, to get a pulse for how people are doing. And I'm not talking about, a, you know, the, in, the employee engagement survey that we all do, right? You know, it's a fascinating thing. I, I can't tell you how many companies I've spoken to that, you know, they have great in, employee engagement surveys, but their people are miserable. So it's more than that. It's like really trying to understand what is it that your population needs? How are they doing? What do they need to feel like? Um, and just that act, first of all, it's going to tell you what you need to, to make more available to people. But, but more importantly, that by itself, asking the question is going to create an environment in which it begins to be okay to have the conversation. So I would say that's probably the most important thing is to start there. And we're seeing it, by the way, in, in all the, you know, and you've, I'm sure you've seen all the stories of, you know, people are demanding more uh, attention from employers to behavioral health and, and stress. But I think often we, what we tend to do in response to that is just throw the, throw typical things at it. You know, like here's the number for the EAP or we'll give you extra PTO days. Well, maybe that's going to help. And maybe it isn't. The only way you're going to know if it's going to help is ask your employees, what is it that you guys need? And then be prepared to listen to the answer. Right. So I think that's, that that's the last thing I'd uh, I'd add. I think that that's a that's a great note to end on. Well, uh, thank you so much again, Dr. Kurte, for coming on. Uh, this is such a huge issue. So I hope uh, employers and safety professionals take our conversation today and uh, use it to think about how they can improve uh, mental and behavioral health in their workplaces. So thank you again. All right, thank you. Thanks for having me, Scott. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.